completely, his life has been completely changed. He was, before this, he's had to be carried everywhere. He's had to live begging to survive, and now he can walk. His life is different. His life has been, in a lot of ways, fixed, right? His problems have been solved. He's been restored. And so the people around hear that this has happened, and they see the results of what has happened, and, and they do what I think a lot of normal people would do. They all rush towards the scene. They rush towards this man. They rush towards Peter and John, the, the, the apparent source of the solution to all their problems. And my question for you this morning as we look at this passage is, is what are you rushing to? What are you running to to, to, to fix your life, to solve your problems? to be the, the solution to the brokenness that you experience in life. Listen to God's word as I read from Acts 3, 11 to 26. While he, the, the man who's been healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would give us faith to see you. to see your power and your glory, to see Jesus. 
as we look at this passage. And, and we, we thank you that you are a God who, who delights in speaking to your people. Help us to listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was, uh, it was late in the middle of the night. I was, I was awake. I couldn't sleep. And uh, this was, this was I, I decided to watch some TV. This was long before um, you, you, know, you had streaming services, so you could kind of just watch whatever you wanted, or, or there was stuff on demand, so you could just watch whatever you wanted. You had to watch what was on TV, right? And often what was on TV in the middle of the night on most channels is what? Infomercials, you know? Them trying to just go all, tell you that the latest product that is so amazing that it will solve all of your problems, Right? And uh, this one I happened to be watching, I, you know, I'd seen many before, never bought anything, but, but this one I was watching, it was for this, this steamer. It was like the shark steamer. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. But it's this little contraption that, that shoots out this, like, steam, this high-pressure steam. And, uh, and it was showing how you could clean everything in your kitchen. Like, no matter what the surface was, you could clean it without using any chemicals or anything. It was awesome, and it cleaned stuff so easily. This, these stains that you could never get off any other way, it cleaned it. But there's more, you know. It had all these, all these, these uh, you know, things that you could uh, attach to it and stuff like that. You could also clean your bathroom. Every single surface in your bathroom, every single problem you had in your bathroom, cleaned. No problem, right? But there's more. Wait, there's more. Because it had these other attachments that you could actually dust with using the steamer. You could dust your house. But there, wait, there's more. You could, you could clean the upholstery in your house with this thing. Wait, there's more. You could, I mean, you could actually steam clean your clothes with this thing. I was like, man, this solves like so many issues that we have. Like, I've got to have this thing. I have to have it. And so I'm embarrassed to say I actually called them and ordered the shark steamer. And uh, I used it like once, and it was like, you know, it was highly disappointing. It didn't really do everything that it, it looked like it was going to do. And uh, so it was, it was very disappointing, but, but it was like so hard like, to see this thing. It was so tempting not to just like immediately want to, to rush towards that thing and cling to this thing as something that would solve so many issues in my life. You know, my life would be so much better if I would just have this. I think we all have a tendency to do this. Not buy stuff off of infomercials, not be as gullible as that, but, but, but we have this tendency to, to rush towards things in our lives and cling to, him, cling to them thinking that these are the things that are going to, be the, that are going to fix our lives, that are going to solve our problems, that are going to, that are going to solve the, the circumstances that, that we struggle to get through in our lives, that are going to solve the emptiness maybe that we feel inside, the loneliness that we feel inside because of circumstances or things that are going on, because of huge obstacles and challenges. That's, that's going to solve the pain that we feel because of situations and, and things that are going on in our lives. We, we, we always rush to, to, to grab things and cling to them, thinking those are the things that are going to make our lives better. They're going to make our lives okay. They're going to fix them. Um, and there's a long list of things we do this with, right? I mean, a lot of us, for, for, for some of us, it's, it's just buying the latest, you know, thing that we really desperately want, the, the, the latest iPhone 17 or whatever number it's up to, right? When I have this iPhone, my life's going to be good. My life's going to be okay. My, my problems will be solved in some sense. Or, you know, we, we buy, we, we, we look forward to an appliance that we've ordered that's coming. It's, when this appliance comes, oh, yes, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be better. And when I have this car, everything's going to be get better. 
You know, we, we cling to things that we buy. We, we cling to, to, to people, you know, to, to relationships in our lives. If I could just, you know, get in with this crowd at school, with these friends, these people, if they could just accept me, then my life's going to be better. My life's going to be okay. If I could just have this boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, or if I could just have these kids, or if I could have these, uh, some, some kids that, 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 are, that are successful or, or, or happy, you know, then, then that's, I, I cling to that. That's going to make my life okay. We cling to jobs. We cling to, to maybe a different job somewhere else or a different place to live. Once I get that, then my life is going to be solved. My problems are going to be fixed. We cling to our education. In school, we cling to our grades. We cling to politics. And think if, 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 if you know, the politics just work their way out the, the right way, then life's going to be better. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be okay. We cling to just things like power and control over our lives. We, we cling to comfort. We cling to what other people think of us. We, we are always just rushing to cling to something that I think is going to make my life Okay. We buy into those things. And I think you see that happening, in a sense, here in this passage. This man that everybody knew had been, you know, laying there at the gate of the temple. Years and years and years and years and years. Everybody knew this guy. Suddenly, his life is fixed. And so what does this guy do? Well, this guy is clinging to Peter and John. You fixed me. This is where I'm going to stay. The people rush to Peter and John. They have the solution. They have the answers, right? And how does Peter respond? How do Peter and John respond? Immediately they say, whoa, whoa, I know what you're thinking. Don't look at us. It's not our power. It's not what we have deserved, you know, our piety, our good behavior that's earned this power that's displayed. This guy's been healed, not because of us. This guy's been healed. He's, he's, able to, he's strong. He's able to stand before you today because of the name of Jesus because of the power of the name of Jesus. That is what you must cling to. You need to cling to the name of Jesus. You need to cling to the name of the worthy one. And before I go any further, Peter highlights, I've been saying, Peter highlights the importance of the name. In verse 16 he says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. What does that mean? Does that mean that the name of Jesus is, is some kind of magical thing? It's, I, I, that's not it at all. It, it's, Peter isn't suggesting that we have some kind of superstitious idea that if we just say the name of Jesus, that our, our problems are solved. Um, it's not some kind of like uh, magical incantation that Harry Potter might learn in one of his classes. You know, you need to say the name of Jesus just right, with just the right inflection, and everything's going to be better. When, when, when the Bible talks about the name of God or the name of Jesus, what it's talking about is, is the name represents all that Jesus is. The person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, who he promises to be and what he will do. So when he talks about the name of Jesus, the, having faith in the name of Jesus, clinging to the name of Jesus, he's talking about clinging to all that Jesus is. All that Jesus is. That's what he's talking about. And that's what we need to do. We need to cling to the name of the worthy one. And what I think is cool here, as I read through this passage this week, is that Peter then, this is the the second sermon that Peter gives in the book of Acts. And and what he does is he describes Jesus in in multiple different ways. And and, in one sense, he he uses different names to refer to Jesus in this passage. 
And that's what I want to do is, is look at some of the names that Peter uses to describe who Jesus is to help us understand why it is we must cling to him above all other things, okay? So the first name I want to point you to is in verse 14. He says, but you denied the holy and righteous one. He refers to Jesus as the holy and righteous one, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, the words holy and righteous were, have, were used in the Old Testament primarily uh, to, to refer to God, to the one who, who created all things, the one who stands above all things, the one who is perfect and good and does all things right, the one who sustains all things by his power. And Peter uses this phrase to refer to Jesus himself. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is God himself. He, he says, you denied the holy and righteous one. See, the problem with that is the holy and righteous one deserves our surrender and our submission. And Peter points out to the people, well, you denied him. This is who Jesus is. He is the one who stands above all other things, all other people, all of creation. And he deserves our surrender. He deserves our submission. There is no greater power in, 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 in all of creation than the person of Jesus Christ. He is God himself. And so we must cling to him because, because there is no one greater. There is no one greater. But there's also something unique about the righteousness of Jesus. When it talks about Jesus being the righteous one, not only does it refer to the fact that he is perfect in a way that, that none of us ever can be, but Jesus in his righteousness is able to give his righteousness to others. One of the things that I'm going to kind of be return, returning to a couple times is, is this passage is in Isaiah 53. I think you see echoes of Isaiah 53 here in Acts 3. And if you look at, back at that passage we read earlier, in verse 11, it says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, there's that phrase, right? The righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That is what Jesus has the power to do. He is the perfect one, the, the one who has been perfectly obedient to his father. He has never sinned once. And that way he is utterly unique because every single one of us has failed. Every single one of us has sinned. None of us are righteous. But what the Bible says in many different places is that if we cling to Jesus, then what God promises to do is to give us Jesus' righteousness. And in, in other words, even though we, we are unrighteous, even though we deserve to be cut off from the presence of God, God promises to look at us and treat us the way that Jesus deserves to be treated. And I've, I've uh, noticed a lot of times in families that have multiple siblings in the, in, in the family, usually there's one sibling that generally tends to do everything right, you know, and all the other siblings kind of resent them because they never get any in trouble. And, uh, you know, they, they, they're never in timeout. They never have the consequences that the other kids do because the other kids are always getting in trouble. This one is the goody two-shoes, you know. They're, in, they're never in trouble. They always do what their parents want them to do. Um, and, and there's this resentment there. But, but see, this is the thing. And the resentment is because th we're always getting in trouble and this other one is always, you know, nothing's wrong. Nothing's ever a problem for them. This is the thing. Jesus is the sibling in our family who doesn't deserve any trouble. He is perfect. 
He has always done what his, fa- what his father wants him to do. But this is the thing. In, in, in God's family, the way he's, he's arranged it, can you imagine in a family if, if the parents sat down with the kids? We're going to have a family meeting. And, okay, I know, you know Johnny is never getting any, any trouble because they always do what's right. What we're going to do is we're going to treat you all the way Johnny deserves to be treated. How would everybody feel about that? Yes! Right? That's what God offers to do with, do with us, with Jesus. If we will cling to him, if we will cling to him, God says, I'm going to treat you the way Jesus deserves to be treated, even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to treat you based on Jesus' obedience. And that's the beauty, the, the uniqueness of, of Jesus' righteousness is that he, he offers to give it to us. You know? He who, 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 was, who, who did not sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This says in Corinthians. In, in Romans 5, it talks about the, by the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Because of Jesus' perfect obedience, he offers to, to pour his righteousness out on us so that we can come before God and, and know that God delights in us, not because we have earned it, but because Jesus has earned it for us. He is the holy and righteous one. And that is why we need to cling him. That is where we find significance and value. In God's delight in us. And so Jesus is the holy and righteous one. But wait, there's more. He's not just the holy and righteous one. He's also the suffering servant. He refers to to Jesus as the suffering servant. A couple times he refers to Jesus as God's servant. In verse 13, he says... uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. And at the very end of the, of the passage in verse 26, God having raised up his servant. He refers to Jesus as the servant of God. Right? And this is the, the thing. Again, we, we see echoes of, of Isaiah 53. where in, uh, Isaiah 53 is, is, is in a section of Isaiah where there's multiple places where it continually talks about this servant the servant that God would send who would come and, and would rescue the people, would bring light to those who are in darkness. And Isaiah 53 is, is another example. Again, in verse 11, he's referred to as the servant of God, the righteous one, my servant. And, and this is something that's beautiful about who Jesus is. In Mark 10, 20, 10 45, he talks about how uh, I did not come to be served, but to serve, right? And to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the one who, who deserves our surrender, who deserves our submission, who deserves to be up here for everybody bowing down to him. And yet he came into our world letting go of his glory, letting go of the, the honor that he deserves, and he became a servant. He humbled himself. He became, he, he became one that others looked down on that others overlooked. And he did that in order to serve his father, in order to serve us, in order to to care for our need. Jesus, instead of using us, voluntarily comes into our world in order to be used according to his father's will. And how is he used? Well, he's he's used in a way that, that causes him to suffer that brings him grief and anguish. Isaiah 53 talks about how he is, in verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. Jesus' life was a life of suffering, and he he talks about that in Acts 
3 as well. In verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did, your, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the, all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. This is what Jesus came to do, to suffer, to endure shame and pain and grief. He did that as a sacrifice for our sin, to bear our sin. Isaiah 53, the end of, end of verse 11, he shall bear their iniquities. He is the sacrifice that pays for our sin. He takes upon himself God's judgment for our rebellion against God, for our continual commitment to try to live life by our own standards and our own desires. And Jesus came and suffered on the cross. And even before that, he came and suffered to pay for our sin so that we would be forgiven. He took upon himself the judgment that we deserve. And so in those first two names, the holy and righteous one, the suffering servant, we see what, what Jesus has come to do is that he solves our, our most desperate problem. That because of our sin, we are separated from God. And, and all of our aches and pains in life, all of our emptiness, all of our hurts, all of our loneliness, um, directly or indirectly, comes as a result of our sin. The fact that we are separated from God, deserve to be separated from God. But, but Jesus came in order to, to bring us back to God, to fix that relationship, to restore our relationship with God. By dying for our sins, to pay for our sins, that we can be forgiven, and by giving us his righteousness. Not only are we forgiven, but God treats us as though we are perfect. And that is an amazing thing. That is why we must cling to him. That is why we must cling to him, because he's the holy and righteous one. He's the suffering servant. But wait, there's more. There's more. He's also my favorite the author of life. Did you notice that one? The author of life. That's, that's such a beautiful name for Jesus. In verse 15, you killed the author of life. How ironic is that? You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Jesus is the one from whom life comes. He is the one that has the power to give life. What does it mean to be an author? Of something. It means that you are the one who wrote the book on it. You are the expert authority on it. You are the one who has the right to define it, to tell us how, what it means and what it's for. Jesus is the author of life. We must cling to him because only Jesus has the answers for, for why sometimes I, feel, I, I struggle to feel alive. It's only through Jesus Christ that I can fully feel alive by knowing him, by clinging to him, by trusting him. Jesus is the author of life, and he has proven that by the fact that, that he was dead and he rose from the dead, right? He said, God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Peter and John remind them, yeah, we saw him. This isn't just a story. He truly rose from the dead, and he's alive today. 
And if you want to live, then you must look to him. You must get to know him. You must cling to him. He's the author of life. But, there, but wait, there's more. He's also the prophet. He's also the prophet. Later in the passage, in, uh, in verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Peter reminds them that Jesus is the ultimate prophet. What does a prophet do? For some of us, we, we think of the prophets in the Old Testament, and we think that a prophet is purely a guy who just tells the future. That is not what a prophet did. And yes, prophets did do that from time to time, but that was not what their job was. Their job was to, to be the mouthpiece of God, to say what God wanted the people to hear. And that is who Jesus is, is the ultimate prophet. If we want to hear from God, we need to cling to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. I can imagine a, a, a plot line of a movie going something like this. You know, somebody's digging around the attic and they find a, they find a radio or a walkie-talkie and they turn it on and this person starts talking to them and, and suddenly they, they over, as, as they talk more and more, they realize, this is God speaking to me through this radio. What would that person do? Well, one person might, out of fear, just bury it and run downstairs again because of what it might mean for their life. But, but a person who's brave enough would actually listen. And, and if it really is God's voice coming out of that radio, you would be like, I'm doing whatever this voice tells me to do. Right? If, if, if God was actually speaking to you, I remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of my favorite action-adventure movies of all time. You know, these, you got Indiana Jones and, and his rival, uh, this guy named Belloc, who are all, like, they're, they're archaeologists, they're trying to get the Ark of the Covenant. And there's this one tense scene where they're sitting at a table and Belloc says, you know what the Ark is? The Ark is a transmitter. It's a radio to God. And there's this dramatic music playing in the background, you know? Thinking that, you know, if I can just get this thing to hear God speak, you know how that would change my life? That's Jesus. That is Jesus. We have God's voice. All we have to do is pay attention to him. We have to cling to him. Cling to his words. You know, his words that say, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You need to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. We need to hang on every single word that Jesus says because those are the words of God himself. He's the prophet, but wait, there's more. He's also the coming one. He's the coming one. In verses 19 and 20, it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus is the one who, who, who is going to return. He's going to come back. He is alive, and he is going to return. And when he returns, he's going to restore all things. I, I have an admiration for people who restore things, who restore antique furniture, who restore like old beat-up cars. I'm always incredibly impressed when, when, I, when I see a person who takes, a, takes an old, beat-up car that doesn't run anymore, and it's got these dents, and it's got these scratches in it, and then they, they remake it, and they restore it to its original beauty. It's so cool to see that happen. This is what Jesus promises to do for us. See, the problem is we live our lives very well acquainted with the dents and the scratches and, 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 and the wear and tear, Right? of all that we have to deal with, 
all of the frustration that we, that we deal with in life, all of the pain that we deal with in life. And, and, and so much of life is, is a struggle. And in the midst of that, what we need to do is we need to cling to the one who's going to come and restore all things, who's going to make all things right, who's going to make me what I was intended to be. And all those dents and all those scratches will be, will be eliminated. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. And in the midst of my struggles right now, I need to cling to the one who promises he's going to come back and he's going to make everything new. But wait, there's more. We're going to go all afternoon, just to warn you guys. <laughs> he's the faith giver. He's the faith giver. In verse 16, it says, In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And then he says this, And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Okay? I'm not sure that the faith that he's talking about, is he talking about Peter's faith in Jesus? Is he talking about the lame man's faith in Jesus? We're not totally sure. But what we do know is that this, this faith has come through Jesus. Jesus is the one that has given them this faith. He is the one that has opened their eyes. That is who Jesus is. We, we must cling to him because it's only Jesus that can open our eyes to see what he wants to do and what he can do and what he has done and who he is. He is the one who can give us the strength to cling to him. The only one. And so we, we, need, to, we need to cling to him all the more and count on him to open our eyes, to open our hearts to how great he is. I just want to finish with this, this second point. We could go on and on and on. You know, that's the thing about Jesus. That's the thing about, about, about his grace is that, that as you commit to, to clinging to him, honestly, as you commit to clinging to him, what you will find out in the midst of your life, as you, even in the midst of your pain and your suffering, you're going to find out that there's always more. There's always more. There's never a bottom to his grace. There's never a, a, a bottom to, to who he is in, in his sufficiency for us. But I'm going to stop here for the sake of time. And I'm just going to point, I'm just going to, point to, to the last verse, because the last verse helps us to understand. It helps clarify what it means to be blessed, and it's connected to this. Because one, one of our problems is that, is that I think we think of a life of blessing. A lot of people use the word blessed today, right? Um, when things are going great, when things are, are, are perfect, when I've got all that I want, when my family's sitting around a table and everybody's getting along, my life is blessed. When I'm on vacation and I'm in this you know, exotic place where, where I can just relax, it just, I, life is, is blessed. You know, that's, that's, blessing is, is we, we tend to think that blessing is getting all that we want, having no problems, having no struggles or difficulties. But as I read this passage this week, I was struck by this last verse that, that, that God wants to redefine what blessing is for us. Okay? He wants to clarify what blessing is for us. At the end of the passage, he's talking about how um, God chose Abraham and made this promise to Abraham that, that he's going to make him into a great nation and through Abraham's offspring, the whole earth is going to be blessed. All peoples are going to be blessed, Right? And then he goes into verse 26. He says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. Yes. To bless you. How? By turning every one of you from your wickedness. 
you know, we tend to think that blessing, the picture of blessing here is the picture of this guy suddenly being able to walk. His problems are solved. But what God says through Peter is that blessing is found in turning from wickedness. Um, There's another place in verse 19 in this passage where he talks about turning. In verse 19 he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back. This is where blessing is found. It's found in repentance. Repentance is, is turning from that which is worthless, turning from our sin, turning from, from denial of God, and turning towards the only one who will truly satisfy us, the only one who is sufficient, turning towards the holy and righteous one, turning towards the suffering servant, turning towards the prophet, turning towards the author of life. That's what, that's what real blessing is. No matter what your life looks like, no matter how much, you know, you can't walk and you still can't walk. If you can turn from your sin and your selfishness and you can turn towards Jesus and gaze upon him, that is where blessing is going to be found. That is what blessing is. To look upon the one who is absolutely sufficient, the one to whom there is no end of his grace. The one who, as we, as we know him, there will always be, wait, there's more. That is where blessing is found. So cling to him today. Turn from a life of, of ignoring him, of being apathetic towards him. Turn from a life of, of even denying him and turn towards him and cling to him because he will not disappoint you. He will not disappoint you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to see this um, repentance doesn't sound like an, an exciting thing, but uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to see that, that real blessing is found in learning how to repent, learning how to turn from our selfishness, learning how to turn from, from our idols, the, the things that we run to, and instead turn to you, the only one who will satisfy our hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able to stand, please stand with us as we continue to sing praises to our God in his great name. <clears throat>